What's going on, everyone? I'm Ben Portnoy. Alongside me, Garrick Hodge. Garrick, will the real Mississippi State Bulldogs please stand up? Death, taxes, the narrative of whatever you thought Mississippi State basketball is changing on a win. It's been a wild week, and it's only what? Uh, I guess it's Thursday, so we're getting toward the end of the week. Yeah, but, it's uh, only Thursday. It's only near the, the, the end of the week. The, the end of the week is here, but... Uh, we're going to spend today talking some men's basketball. Obviously, the Bulldogs dropped a, uh, a tight one against Texas A&M last night after picking up the big win over Missouri in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think it's a good time to kind of talk about this team, talk about what we know, what we don't, what the expectations are, and maybe a little bit of big picture stuff. So let's start with last night's game. Garrick, you were there. I was watching from my couch. What did you see? What happened? What do you kind of attribute you know, this sort of collapse, for lack of a better term, too? Well, um, the inability to handle a press. Um, in the first half, they did it pretty well. Um, that's why they got out to a double-digit lead at halftime. Um, and in the second half, they just couldn't break it for whatever reason. Um, I mean, they were turning the ball over on a whim. Um, 15 turnovers. Um, and then late in the second half, there was a sequence that went Mississippi State offensive foul, Texas A&M alley-oop, Mississippi State offensive foul, Texas A&M three-pointer. Um, and those, that was in the last uh, oh, 2.30 or so. Um, so not ideal in any circumstance. Um, you also saw a lot of half-court sets um, that Mississippi State was just hell-bent on running, despite um, um, when DJ Stewart would drive, um, the help side would come right away, fill in the gap, and DJ would kind of be caught in no man's land. Um, and that led to five turnovers from Stewart, and it led to uh, him throwing up shots that just looked awkward and um, altered. And really, um, Stewart had one of his, you know, only, I, I'd just say, off games, I suppose. Um, I think he was... 3 of 14 from the floor, is that accurate? Yeah, 3 of 14 and 1 of 6 from 3-point line, yeah. from 3-point um, range. I want to say about two or three of those three-pointers were with two seconds left on the shot clock when he had no other option, and the half-court uh, set was, let's just say, not executed to perfection. Um, and give Buzz Williams credit, I mean, um, they came in as roadkill. Um, that, was, that was their first road win yesterday at a tough place to win in the SEC. Um I think in their last 61 before yesterday, Mississippi State was like 53-8 and eight at home, I want to say. So it's it's certainly not easy to win at the hump. But uh, Texas A&M did. All three of their SEC losses were by double digits. Um, so it's kind of a throw your hands up in the air and go, well, um, I, another I don't know what to make of this Mississippi State men's basketball team. Um, a lot of youth and inexperience. Um they had a chance to win, of course, with six seconds remaining. And I'll get to my breakdown of uh, that play in a second. But, Ben, from, from watching from your couch, what did you see on that last visit? So let's, let's set it up a little bit. Um, let's rewind the clock a little bit. Um, Mississippi State's down by four uh, with about a minute and a half left or so. Um, they're still running a half-court set and looked like – from the start of the possession that they were up by four because they could not have had less of a sense of urgency, which I thought was, wow, I think these guys must be very confident in their half-court set and ability to score or their just situational awareness leaves a little bit to be desired here. But anyway, it almost ended up not mattering because they uh, they got a basket from Jalen Johnson underneath down low in the post. Um, they got a stop. 
And Jalen Johnson got put in a chokehold by Koo from Texas A&M. Looked like it was WWE WrestleMania. And got called for a well-deserved flagrant. But uh, Achilles' heel free throws. um, Had a chance to tie there, down by two. They made one of two, so trailing by one. And honestly, I mean, Johnson's been their best free throw shooter all year. He's around 80% from the charity stripe on the season. And then Tolu Smith uh, had a good look um, in the middle on the ensuing position because obviously you get the basket back on a flagrant file. And it just kind of went in and out. Um, And there was a six-second difference between the shot and game clock. Uh, Howland elected not to foul. And I guess to his credit, the defense persevered. They got a shot clock violation. And they had a six-second window to win the game, trailing by one point. And I thought that the game plan was going to be very Dayton-esque in that sort of situation. What I mean by that is um, against the Flyers earlier this year, Molinar basically was given the, the ball and just given a run-a-fly route orders straight to the hoop, and he converted in about five seconds and sent that game into overtime. Of course, they ended up losing that game. But I thought we were going to see a very uh, similar play, obviously with the speed of Molinar and his ability to finish at the rim. What we instead saw was something else, and Ben, I'm going to let you take it from there and explain to me what you saw from your catch. That was horrible. It was, it was really bad. I mean, look, this was a game that, like, Mississippi State's had its issues in late-game situations all year. But, I mean, at that point, like, you know, we don't have to – we can get into this a little bit later in the podcast, but, like, late-game situations are on coaching. Your players have to execute, sure, but you need a coach to be able to draw something up. I don't know what Ben Howland drew up, but it sure as hell didn't seem like that was the look that they were trying to get. Well, in his post-game press conference, he said that the plan was to get it to one of the two backcourt guys, meaning Stewart or Molinar, and to have them get to the basket as quickly as possible. And then I'll let you finish your train of thought. And that's my thing is like, okay, so if that's your train of thought there, if you're Ben Howland, that's fine, and you want to give your your best playmakers a chance to make a play, but put them in a situation to make that play because the problem is they weren't getting by Texas A&M defenders the way that they usually do all night. Give yourself, set a screen, throw some backdoor action, something to throw, move the defense around, and you didn't see that. And, you know, missing a free throw is a problem in itself. But, you know, if you're Mississippi State, this is a game that was right there for the win. You, you should have won. I mean, watching that game in the first half, I thought they were going to win this game by 30. So, you know, y- you watch this team and you watch the adjustments that Buzz Williams made. I mean, this team has been, you know, the highs of highs and the lows of lows, really. I mean, Texas A&M is not a good team. They're probably a team that finishes in the bottom three in the SEC this year. Uh, but they went out and beat Mizzou the other night. And so you look at that and say, you know, okay, what is this team? And, you know, they're a late-game situation here, really, away from escaping a a crappy game, frankly. And, you know, I don't know. I I guess we can get into the bigger picture question of what is this team. Um, Well, um, first of all, I think I'm going to end up describing what happened on that final look because I think we kind of jumped away from that. Yeah. um, so, as, as I explained, the goal was to get it to the backcourt, uh, Iverson and Stewart, and they threw it up to DJ when State's in a, sorry, A&M's in a press look, of course, as they were the, for most of the entire second half. They get it to DJ at around half court. Um, they put two guys on him immediately, um, which there's about around this time 3.5-ish seconds. 
So he sees Davon Smith, which Howland said that he put in there to where if Iverson and DJ were as uh, guarded as he thought they would be, they would get it to Davon because he also has the ability to get it to the rim on a moment's notice. Um, so Stewart passes to Davon with about 3.5 seconds left at the, near the top of the key, give or take, which, of course, uh, Davon's not exactly a great jump shooter at this point in his career. Um, he's shown the capability of hitting a few, but I certainly wouldn't trust him hitting that shot with the game on the line, uh, losing by one with three seconds left or so. And Davon's usually a pass-first point guard by nature. So Davon, thinking in the split second that he could, sees a cutting Tolo Smith that's cutting in from the left going to the basket. Yeah. Um, and I think Davon just makes up his mind that, all right, I'm just throwing it to his spot. And he throws it to his spot, and I think Tolu kind of had a little bit of a step on him, but the basket is a little behind him. Texas A&M defender swats it inside of the visitor's locker room. Um, we had the most pointless review of all time to see if there was going to be like .2 seconds left on the clock. There wasn't. The game was over, and Mississippi State has a uh, unfortunate loss. Um, and, I mean, really, that one possession is kind of the story of the night. Inability to break the press. The press attack was not good. Howland said that he had a, a different press attack offense that he's used his entire career, but for whatever reason, he didn't utilize it. And I guess to his credit, he took the blame. And, well, um, it was kind of deserved for this loss. Um, but, nevertheless, their inability to break the press. And, I mean, kind of when you've seen this team fall apart, it has been because their inability to get up the field. Um court I should say I'm still stuck in football season um, and I think this team this season has been called for two 10 second violations which is pretty I don't remember I, the last time I've seen uh, I don't think I've ever seen one I don't think I've seen yeah one let and this team's been called for two so it um, it, w- it wasn't two yesterday uh, there is one yesterday and I think they got called for one against Vanderbilt um, last week so this team's had some uh, and I think part of it is their, um, I don't want to say their lack of urgency because this team has certainly been a t- capable of putting down the burners a little bit and turning it up when they need to, but their energy fluctuates quite a bit. And maybe some of that's on coaching and maybe some of that's on um, a young team not being able to know when to bring the energy night in and night out and uh, how much they have left. And what Alan also said, and I don't think that this can be understated because he has a point here, that in the first half, A&M deployed 13 guys. Like, there's there's 13 guys, and I think even within, like, hell, not even the first half, I think the first five minutes, Buzz Williams <laughs> played 13 guys, like, constantly moving in and out. Uh, JV and Davies obviously not able to go for the third straight game for undisclosed reasons that are not academic or disciplinary, so wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and so Mississippi State deployed eight guys, and they were very heavily reliant on Tolu Smith, Iverson Molinar, and DJ Stewart, who each played about 37 minutes. Um, and if there has been a flaw in Howland's tenure at Mississippi State, it's that he relies on his stars a little too much um, to where, you know, usually he wants to play him around 32, 33 minutes, and instead he asks him to play anywhere from 37 to 40 uh, with Tyson Carter being one of the most recipients for that ever at the beginning of last year when uh, Nick Weatherspoon was suspended and um, he didn't know what he had in Iverson Molinar yet. Um, so Tyson was playing damn near about 39 minutes per game against, uh, granted, inferior teams at the start of non-con last season. But um, it's certainly been something that 
he's done and he says that he needs to correct and he sometimes, I don't know, forgets to do. But big picture, um, disappointing loss, no other way to say it. Um, definitely one that's going to put a damper on their NCAA tournament resume. Um, not that, you know. It is kind of interesting how the conversation has changed from being picked 12th in the SEC to, eh, well, maybe these guys have an outside shot at making a tournament run. Um, but I think, like you said, you wanted to get into big picture stuff. I think this is uh, a year where you don't know what you're going to get from the team night in and night out, which I think is okay. Um, you lost your top four scorers from a year ago. You didn't know what you had. And you know that you have two consistent elite scorers in Iverson Molinar and DJ Stewart, a third option that... Um, is a hell of a rebounder in Tolo Smith and sometimes can provide a nice offensive option in the post in Tolo Smith. And then some complimentary pieces that, uh, you know, sometimes show up and sometimes, uh, you know, don't. But it's, I think this year is finding out what you have and you try to keep the nucleus together and make a sustained run next year because if they keep the pieces together, I see a lot of promise with this team. But I also see a lot of adjustments that need to be made in terms of situational awareness, in terms of um, perimeter defense. They've been burned on that. And certainly in terms of free throw shooting. And Ben, I will let you take it from here because I know you've got a lot to say on the big picture aspect. Yeah, I I just think that, you know, when you look at it, this is a a team that, kind of like you said, like it's built pretty soundly in that, You've got guys who kind of fit their spots, who fit well in the roles that they're in. You've got guys in DJ Stewart and Iverson Molinar who can be your lead guys, a guy like Tolu Smith who rebounds the ball well. And then you kind of go on down the line. You've got a guy like Davon Smith who can come off the bench and give you a spark, you know, kind of from that point guard spot. Uh, You know, Cam Matthews gives you a lot defensively. You know, you've got a lot of kind of defined roles on this team in a way that you didn't necessarily have last year. Even if that was maybe a better team, you know, top to bottom. Um, but, you know, I'm fascinated in this in this because I think that, you know, it's a team that looks really good against Missouri and then falls flat. And some of that, uh, to be fair, is, you know, the pandemic and everything that's going on and all of that. But this is a team that you know, you'd like to think can take that next step or at least progress toward maybe an NCAA tournament bid uh, or a surprise one at least. Um, But when you lose games like you do last night, it it takes away the momentum that you had. You know, the the best teams in America, and I'm not saying Mississippi State is one, you look at this program's history, it's, you know, slightly above 500. This is a generally mediocre program from, you know, the time it was started in the early 1900s to now. That said... The best teams in America were the ones that go into a game like Texas A&M last night. You win the game by 25 points or 15 points, and you walk out of there with a win, and you don't you know, think about it. Mississippi State let, let Texas A&M back in this game. Now, Texas A&M made some adjustments and all of that, sure. But Mississippi State had its chances to put this game this way. Uh, there was a straight – I think they went, what, scoreless for over six minutes six at minutes, one? Yep. Uh, six the, minutes uh, about after the first three minutes of the second half. They were scoreless from like the 17-minute mark to like the 11-minute mark. Yeah, so somewhere like in there. You know, you go scoreless for six minutes in a game, especially in the second half when a team's charging. You're not going to win a lot of basketball games. Now, this isn't a total indictment on this team. You know, you've got guys like, uh, you know – You've got guys like an Iverson Molinar, DJ Stewart, who can go out and win you a game on a given night. 
One of those guys could go and score 27 points and win you a basketball game, and that's fine. But the problem is it's it's games like this where you think, okay, they might not quite be there yet. And that's okay. It's like you said. This is a team that lost its four top four scorers from last year. You lost a lot of experience. You've got guys playing bigger minutes than they were used to. You've got a guy like Tolu Smith, for example, who sat out last year because was he, was he sat out last year because of transfer. Um and because of that, you know, you have guys adjusting to bigger roles, and that takes time. That's why I think that, you know, when you hear questions about what's Ben Howland's future and things like that, I, I just don't I don't buy it. I mean, this is a coach who's won he, you know, inherited one of the worst teams in the SEC when he got here and turned it into a, you know, five hundred team and got into the WN uh, excuse me, into the NIT, I believe his second year. Uh, excuse me, his third third year. Um, his third year. Won 25 games. And then has won 25, 20 games or more ever since. So he's one of two coaches in school history to win 20 games three straight years. The other being Rick Stansberry, who's probably the most successful coach in school history. At least from, a, you know, looking at what their, you know, that team was. They went to the NCAA tournament in, let's see, I'm looking at it here, six of eight years. It's pretty damn good. So, you know... Yeah, people want this team to do that and to be that. But when you look at it, in the grand scheme of this this program's history, they haven't necessarily been an every year tournament team, if not, you know, they're, you know, NCAA tournament every decade type team, if not more. And so when you like again, like when you hear about Ben Howland's future, what his future could hold at Mississippi State, like I'd argue he's done a pretty damn good job at what he at you know, turning this program around, taking it from, you know, the issues that came around because of the, the NCAA violations and things under Rick Stansberry, the the sort of bottoming out under Rick Ray, and, and really rebuilding a roster. And, and I think that when you look at that, there's potential here for a really, really good team. Whether that's this year, it may be next year if you keep the nucleus of a, you know, you keep a guy like DJ Stewart from going to the NBA maybe one more year. This team can make some noise a year from now. I don't know if they can do that this year, but I think they're going to – I think it's like kind of like you and I said at lunch the other day. We were talking about this, and I, I think this is a team that probably can finish somewhere around 500 in the SEC and with a couple of really good wins could maybe back their way into a tournament. To answer your question on Ben Howland's long-term picture, this is vaguely sourced and mostly speculation, but – Unless, I don't know, they have a complete and total collapse and let's say finish something like 5-13 and 13 in SEC play so they'd lose, they'd win two more games in league play the rest of the year. Um, I would say it's a pretty good bet that Howland is back next year, both with, um, you know, as of right now, they are certainly better than they've been prognosticated. It looks like he's done a good job rebuilding the team on the fly. And you could set yourself up for something nice next year. Now, if um, next year they get off to a poor start for whatever reason, then I think you may be um, asking yourself some further long-term picture questions. Um, Because I would think that regardless of how this team finishes, unless, you know, barring, as I said, a total collapse, which I don't think will happen, but barring a total collapse, I think that you're set up for a pretty nice season next year. assuming most of the guys come back, which is a big assumption considering, you know, um, 
the roster turnover the last couple of years, but I think you can retain most of this nucleus. Um, and there has been a lot of examples to where players do make a huge leap from their freshman to sophomore seasons, a la Iverson Molinar. Um, Davon so, Smith, if Davon Smith makes that jump, or yeah, even half of that, really. Yeah, even half of that, they should be fine. Um, I think that Abdul Adu is going to be a lot harder to replace than a lot of people think. Um, I mean, obviously not his offensive production, but... He is a terrific rim defender, and I think that that is – he might be one of the more underappreciated players in the league because, man, he closes a lot of inside lanes. Mm. But um, that's basically where we're at long term. I would be stunned if Howland is not retained for another season, unless barring a total collapse, which I guess you can't rule out, but with this team kind of Jekyll and Hyde – I think they're a little too talented to bottom out, but we'll see. And, and the other thing I'd say, too, is, I mean, if you're administration, and this is, you know, all generally and speculating, but if you're John Cohen, you know, and I know men's basketball probably falls a little bit lower in the pecking order than, you know, football and baseball and even women's basketball to an extent, maybe. You know, if, if that's the case, you know, you don't really want to be making another coaching hire with what, you know, you've had to do with football. You already hired one coach and fired them. Um, you know, you're having to, you hired Mike Leach and the team was fine this year, I guess, you know, that's still a work in progress and there's not really a, you know, the jury's still out there, but you know, Nikki McCray Penson, Chris Lamonis, you know, Lamonis has mostly worked out it seems. And, and, you know, we don't really know about Nikki McCray Penson, but you know, if you're John Cohen, like he's in a position where he's had to make a lot of hires in his first couple of years. And that doesn't even include the Olympic sports where he's had to make a couple of hires as well. But, you know, if you're John Cohen, you don't really want to be making a hire <laughs> in a pretty premier sport at this school uh, come next fall. I think that you know men's basketball probably doesn't move the needle the same way it does at some other schools at Mississippi State. But it's still a program that can make a lot of money for you and matters financially and toward the bottom line. And with Howland under contract for, I believe, what, another two years right after this year? Two after this year. Two after this year. Assuming this they year's. don't extend him. Right. Assuming they don't extend him under contract for another two years. You know, that's money to eat on a buyout, that kind of thing. Um, you know, when you're coming off a pandemic year where you could end up seeing a $30 million, give or take, shortfall in, in earnings, Mississippi State's not the kind of school that says, screw it, we're going to make the change and throw the money at it. Like, you know, some of these other programs like, you know, Auburn at fo- Auburn football or Texas football. You know, Mississippi State's just not a school that can do that financially. So um, I, I think the idea of Ben Howland being fired is pretty ridiculous at this point but i, I think serious next year if they're yeah middling we'll see i agree i think that this year it's jumping the gun too soon i still think this team probably ends up somewhere around 18 wins um and we'll see from there i mean you know you're eight and five right now three and two in league play that gives you what 13 games left yeah nine and nine sounds about right in league yeah. play. yeah I, I think nine and nine is probably about what you get from this team. Um, but since I'm convinced in this narrative, they will certainly be one end or the other because that's just how stuff works with Mississippi State basketball. When you're convinced they are what they are after two or three games, then the narrative will shift very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at the rest of their slate, like they're going to have opportunities for some pretty good wins. You know, Alabama's been good. LSU's been pretty, offensively at least, has been really good. Um, Auburn's well, there's a lot of opportunities for nice wins. Yeah, in their, last, uh, their last ten or so. And you know, teams- if you look at Kempom.com, they're, they're, I I know that uh, it's for those that aren't Kempom nerds like me. It's <laughs> the games are ranked by tier sometimes, like tier A, tier B. 
Um, I want to say probably nine out of their last 13 are either a tier A or tier B opportunity for a win. So um, they have plenty of chances to make up for losing to A&M, but they also, you know, play some pretty tough teams. So I mean, even just look at their next five games, really. You've got Florida come Saturday. Um, then you've got Ole Miss, Alabama, Tennessee, and Iowa State, and Arkansas. Um, Iowa State's probably not what we thought they would be. But uh, they can't lose that Iowa State. Game. No. But, and Florida's a different team without Keontae Johnson, and Ole Miss has had its issues. But those are all games that are, you, you know, outside of Tennessee, those are all winnable games. If you hold serve, let's say split between Florida and Ole Miss and win one of a road game between Tennessee and Alabama, I think you're okay. Yeah, because you probably win the Iowa State game and end up coming out there. But if you don't, oh boy. Yeah. And then, uh, then you're going to have to win the SEC tournament. Yeah, so... You know, there are opportunities ahead of Mississippi State, like you said, a game against Alabama, a game against Tennessee. Like, these are games that matter and matter down the stretch. So, Mississippi State's got opportunities ahead of it, but uh, this team continues to be, uh, be a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. But, uh, Garrett, you got anything else? I don't think so. Um, b- big week for the women to host Alabama tonight, play A&M on the road. Um, yep. number, undefeated number eight Texas A&M on Sunday. Yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be pretty tough, especially the way that uh, Mississippi State's been playing. So I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say on uh, how the women fared um, next week. Yeah. Uh, maybe leading into the uh, end, and we'll recap the uh, win or defeat with the men hosting Florida. They just had a huge letdown against A&M, so they'll probably win that Florida game because such is life. All righty. Thank you all again for listening, and we'll catch you again next week.